Welcome to the launch of Cybercast Oregon, a show about the ins and outs of technology security, explored through personal stories, how-to guides, and expert advice. I'm your host, Kedma O, oh, director of the SBDC at Mount Hood Community College and the lead for our small business cybersecurity initiative throughout Oregon. Now, if you're intimidated by the idea of a tech show, you can sit back and stay tuned. Today's episode is gonna be a gentle and practical introduction into the world of cybersecurity. It's a topic that no technology user can afford to ignore, not when your data, identity, and safety are on the line. On this show, we're gonna hear from someone who was targeted by hackers, answer basic questions about online security, and talk about how you can protect your data. Ask us questions and share your thought on the talk board at prp.fm or tweet us at PDX Radio Project. We'll try to answer them on the show as they come in. And now, with the help of producer Nastasia Voisin, let's meet someone who's been face-to-face -face with some hackers and learned how easy it is to have your online life turned inside out. My name is Nick Burns. I am from Michigan. Uh, currently looking at possible colleges uh, and somewhere in the tech field. So right now I'm just kind of doing my own thing and weighing out my options. And yeah. Do you spend a lot of time on the internet? I do. I spend quite a few hours a day on the internet. So tech is your world, right? Uh, yeah, I love it. But there was one point in which it did not work in your favor, and that was when you were hacked. So go ahead and walk us through that story. Okay, so two years ago, I found a video chat site, and I wanted to maybe meet some like-minded people, maybe find some people who are into tech as I was, or video games, or and just to meet people. And I did. I met people around the world, had great conversations, made friends, you know, over the couple years that I was on there. And then one night, these dudes come in. I had never seen them before. We start talking, and then they basically pronounced that they were hackers, that they hacked people, they found people's information. I'm going to pause you right there and just clarify. So when you say some people came in, are you talking about they came in online, so to speak? Uh, the chat site has several different rooms, and it's video chat and audio, so you're seeing these people talking to these people. And so they joined the room, you know, came on camera, on microphone. Behold, we are hackers. Basically, yeah, there's a group of them that run around on there and yeah, basically pronounce their hackers. And I just kind of laughed it off. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. You know, I never, I was never worried about someone was going to hack me. That never crossed my mind. Why would someone want to mess with me? What's the point? Well, that night they decided I was the target. And everyone has a username on these chat websites. So you can look at the profile and see the username. Well, they find my username and... Basically how it works is sometimes websites are breached or hacked and they pull all the information off these, all the accounts, the passwords, the emails connected. And me at the time, not being smart about this at all, I used like the same username, email, password on everything. So how they actually got to me was through uh, LinkedIn actually had a breach and all their all their information was leaked. Uh, so through that, they got my password, which I used the same password on everything. And that that's where I messed up. So 
before I knew it, they had access to everything. So then at this point, how does the story take a turn for the worse? At first, I don't think I'm hacked. I'm like, no, it was luck or something. You know, they don't have, they're not doing anything. They're just, they're just uh, messing around. Well, then I start getting notifications that someone's trying to change my password on this website and someone's trying to change my password on this website and passwords actually are getting changed because at this point they have access to my email. I didn't know it at the time. My credit card limit was extended and they were trying to purchase things on my Amazon account. They were messaging people like through my social media accounts and getting them to trying to get them to like download these files that I guess would hack them to. What was the first site that you noticed you were getting suspicious activity on? That would have been Twitter. Things were getting tweeted out that I wasn't tweeting. So then right then and there, I knew they were in everything. They were everywhere. (laughs) And once you realize you had been hacked, do you jump back on the chat room and and confront these folks and say, hey, did you hack me? And there is where I made the biggest mistake. Yes, I did come back. I was very angry and... I guess kind of taunting them a little bit, like, oh, is that all you can do? Is that all you got? And it was not. (laughs) That is for sure. So start to finish, how long since from hack to you managed to clean up all this mess did this process last? I'd say it took me six months to a year to feel somewhat unhacked, I guess you would say. Did the hackers ever give a reason why they targeted you? Basically for fun. It's a sport to them. Did you actually lose any money or buy items? Did you ever accidentally be the cause of any of your friends getting hacked? I didn't. Luckily, credit cards are really good about fraudulent charges and Amazon was amazing. You know, anything money involved was, I cleared that up quickly. That was the first thing because I'm like, if they get to my bank, you know, what's going to happen then? And then they actually posted all my personal information online, including family members. So yes, it started affecting my family also. So let's walk through some of the emotional responses that you had to this. When you first discovered you had been hacked, what was your reaction? Was it surprise or was it alarm or was it, oh, this can't be that bad? Yeah, at first it was panic and I was surprised that they weren't full of it. They were actually doing this to me and I became very afraid, very paranoid of everything. Uh, if any unusual activity on my account, even to this day, I'll be, I'll think someone's trying to hack me again. I'm very wary now online. That would have been Twitter. Um, uh, things were getting tweeted out that I wasn't tweeting. And so then I, right then and there, I knew they were in everything. They were everywhere. <laughs> you mentioned that this process took about six months in total what was so difficult to clean up? Was it just trying to figure out all of your different accounts, where they might exist and make sure you are using good password hygiene? Or was it more complicated in terms of maybe banking elements or maybe getting access back to accounts? It was more of me going through the process of cleaning up and getting rid of all these old accounts that tied everything to me. I became obsessed with searching myself online and saw how easy it was for me to find myself. So I just tried to delete pretty much any remnants, like other than my uh, Facebook, like my real name is not connected to other things. You mentioned at the beginning of this interview that your attitude towards being hacked before this event was pretty relaxed, that you're confident that no one would be interested in hacking you. Could you talk to us about how 
your perspective on that changed and what your thoughts are now about your information and its value. Now I know how easy it is for someone to actually find you and make your life complicated and they can mess with your financial status and it's it's scary and I really try to promote that in my family and everyone's just like, you know, they're kind of the same attitude. They're more relaxed with it. Why would someone want to mess with me? Your attitude before the hack was, my information is not interesting and this likely will not happen to me. But then you were hacked and you spent six months trying to recover a safe space online, trying to make sure that the material that you owned was actually in your hands. Would you say to people, you could get hacked more easily than you think? Would you say, even if you don't think your data is valuable to other people, it's actually valuable to you and it might not be safe? For me, why would you want to be so easily like findable and so easy for someone to just flip your life upside down? I, I would think you would want to prevent that, whether or not you think someone would come after you or you know, they don't have to have a reason. They didn't have a reason with me. I guess I would ask, do you have any closing thoughts on the experience, what it taught you, and how it shapes your attitude towards the information you keep online? Uh, just seeing and from reading all that I do read and just seeing how all these accounts get breached so easily. The internet really is not a safe place and you have to be careful. I feel as though I'm very careful now and I would just hate for someone else to have to go through all that. Support for Cybercast Oregon comes from Mount Hood Community College Small Business Development Center, working with entrepreneurs to create, grow, and protect successful businesses. Learn more at mhcc.edu sbdc. Welcome back to Cybercast Oregon. I'm Kedma O, oh, and I lead the cybersecurity initiative for the Small Business Development Centers in Oregon. On today's episode, we're hacking into the world of cybersecurity, asking simple questions you may have wondered about, but just aren't sure what the answer is. If you were with us before the break, you heard from Nick Burns, an everyday internet user who spent more than six months reclaiming his online accounts after a hack. Now, I'm joined by an expert who can break down for us the need-to-know basics of online security and help you arm yourself against hacks. Wu Shang Feng, welcome to the show. Hi, Wu. Hi. <laughs> Great to have you here. Well, first, please tell us what you do for a living. Uh, I'm a professor of computer science at Portland State University, and uh, I teach the security uh, inside the security certificate that we offer at Portland State. Uh, I mostly teach web security, uh, malware reverse engineering, and a little bit of cloud uh, security and computing. Okay, well, that was a lot of terminology. So mm -hmm. let's try to break it down for our users. You mentioned a couple of things. Let's start with just basic things like you mentioned malware. Uh, so maybe a few terminologies for us. You know, what is cybersecurity? Um, cybersecurity is ensuring that uh, you have control over who accesses your digital information and your digital systems. And are you referring to uh, anyone to have control? Like I have a six-year-old who loves to go on my computer. Does that include him? Well, if, if that's the person you want to have access to your computer, then yes. Uh, 
for sure. <laughs> okay. So walk us through what it means to uh, the word hacking. What does hacking mean? So initially, the hacking term was a neutral term. Actually, it was a positive term. It meant to sort of tinker with computers for the intellectual curiosity of it and the challenge of it. Um, but in sort of like the 90s and the 2000s, it's sort of been used also to label um, people who are trying to break into your computers. Uh, so it can have dual uh, meanings, I should say. And in the previous segment, we heard a pretty uh, powerful story from Nick being hacked. What are some ways that people can be hacked? You know, is it through email? He mentioned Twitter. Uh, is it through a smart device? What are the possibilities? Um, there are several common ways uh, that people get uh, compromised. Uh, phishing is is one of the ways. And what phishing is, is when uh, someone impersonates someone that you trust and then asks you for credentials. And then you think that, okay, I, I can give those up because I trust this person. But that uh, the problem is, is impersonation is really easy to do on the internet. Uh, so there's no way to really validate that. Uh, the other thing is bad passwords, um, like reusing the same password over and over again, using a password that's easily rememberable. These are sorts of things that um, adversaries can can take advantage of. You mentioned passwords, and actually that's what happened in Nick's case. He was pretty honest that he had the same password over and over again, and that's how they were able mm. to get in. But this phishing thing, uh, which is interesting, how would that come about? Can you give me a scenario? Well, you get an email that looks like it's from someone that you know, um, and then uh, it's saying, "Hey," um, or maybe it's from a computer administrator of a of a of a you know, email service that you might be using, and it looks legitimate. And you're like, "Oh, they're they're asking me for my username and password." You should never give up your username and password because uh, if a if a website is really good at user username and password management, they would they don't even have your password. They have like a hash of your password, so they don't even store that. Uh, so you should never, ever disclose your password to anybody who asks for it. Excellent. Excellent. And I've heard in the news a lot this term that maybe you can share with the audience, ransomware. What does ransomware mean? Is it something that could really affect someone like a Nick? Or is it more set up to go after larger companies? It's set up for individuals and companies. Uh, so the idea of ransomware is... Oh, it's a it's sort of a specific form of malicious software where this software will get on your system and will encrypt all the data on it. And then the the adversary or the, the criminal is going to ask you to pay money to decrypt it to get your files back. And whether or not it'll actually happen, who knows? Mm -hmm. um, but that's the intent to get money out of the person to, to, to get their data back. And you mentioned something about criminals. And I'm curious because in my mind... I have this image of maybe someone in the basement uh, who just likes to do this for fun. Do you have any idea from a profile perspective, who are these hackers and are they educated or are they just having fun and maybe just doing this without really knowing what they're doing? Every hacker is highly educated, unfortunately, um, but the demographic is really diverse. I mean, you could have nation states. so. Um, like the NotPetya and the WannaCry, that was like, or WannaCry was North Korea, and they're, you know, issuing ransomware. Uh, but it could also be just uh, organized uh, crime, just regular criminals who are who are sending these things out uh, and expecting to get paid. So, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to just label a stereotype. There is no stereotypical <laughs> hacker, uh, as it turns out. Right. And you, you said something really important. You said 
every hacker in most cases is very educated. So we have to presume that they, there's intelligence behind their, their process. But why would they do it? Is it, is it really for fun or is there, is there a real business? Because you mentioned uh, organized crime. Is there really a business behind this? There is a huge business behind this, which is why the tools are so good for phishing people and trying to get their passwords. So, for example, locally, uh, we had a university in Oregon fished for $1.9 million because uh, they used a phishing attack that uh, they impersonated a supplier that the university was using. And uh, they sent an email with fake uh, routing numbers uh, and then it, it, it got wired over. Uh, so there's it's this is big business, which is why uh, it's easy to see that regular people are falling for these things. Because if you have someone with these kinds of resources targeting you nonstop, you're going to fall for some of these things. You know, and as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about different people who would be hearing this podcast. So let's suppose I'm a two-person operation florist. I don't have really a lot of assets except my wonderful flowers that I, you know— share with the community and people buy flowers to give to loved ones, would I be possibly a threat in terms of compromised uh, my business by these hackers? Because again, I'm a two-person operation and I'm selling flowers. Yeah. If the opportunity isn't there for hackers to really make a lot of money, then maybe you won't get targeted. But uh, if the tools are mature enough that they can target everybody, then you're going to get targeted uh, because the cost of running those tools is coming down, unfortunately, for adversaries. And what are they looking for? Is there certain data they're looking for? Are they looking for client lists? Are they looking for account numbers? What What are some of the data that they would be paying attention to? Yeah, all the personal identifying information, the credit cards, the addresses, the names, uh, the email addresses. Uh, because even if you get an email address from a florist, uh, you can send a sort of a phishing email from that florist to basically impersonate the florist to try and get the customer to give up credentials from um, wherever they uh, go to. So, yeah. So this is kind of, I don't want to scare people, but it seems fairly scary. And yet, is there ways that we could sort of prevent it? I mean, I have, for example, my phone, like probably a firewall because I have uh, an iPhone, Mm -hmm. Am I pretty much safe from these attacks? Um, there are so many different pieces, uh, not only the devices, but the services that you're using, the people running the services that you're using, the people who develop the services that you're using. Every part of that chain has to be uh, working in order for you to have your stuff secure. Uh, the two biggest things I would recommend people do is, one, use a password manager. And I guess this goes back to the case uh, we just heard about, if you're reusing the same password everywhere and the same username, then all it takes is one site to not protect their username and password database or not to do it correctly for the adversary to get all of your stuff. The other thing I would recommend is um, second factor authentication. So two factor authentication is, is we're trying to push that out everywhere where you would uh, show that you have something in your possession to log you into a site. So either your phone uh, Google employees do a USB key uh, called a UB key that sort of proves to the administrator that you are who you are. So this is very silly, but I have to ask the question because I probably have maybe 30 different sites that I'm involved in that I use my password. And frankly, 
I don't know if I can remember it all. So like, would I use a piece of paper or is there a more? You would use that password manager. So one of the other things that we do is we run high school camps and we do a lot of high school outreach uh, with camps, internships, classes. And uh, this is a user education part of it where, yeah, you, they can see the power of a password manager to automatically generate passwords and remember them. And then you remember one strong password to this password manager and it will help you unlock all the passwords automatically. And that's what, a, what I would recommend as a best practice for users to, to prevent this kind of stuff. Is that what you do for your own? <laughs> that's what I do, yes. <laughs> and I don't think I'm a target, but uh, yeah, uh, just in case I am targeted, I use two-factor authentication and I use a password manager. Uh, both of those are really good things for people to use. Have you personally been hacked or had a phishing attempt happen to you personally? And oh, how did you handle I it? I see a lot of phishing emails. Uh, I haven't as far as I know, except for like this Equifax thing, which I might have been breached. But as far as I know, I think I have I've been all right. But uh, again, I'm not the hugest target. I don't have like a lot of money that's for people to go after. So I guess I guess I'm, um, I'm all right right now. <laughs> so uh, and you actually teach this for people who are interested in learning more about cybersecurity and protecting themselves or moving into more of an employment role? Uh, we teach it at all levels. So definitely uh, for regular users, for non-majors, for high school students, how do you be safe online? But then we are also teaching it to developers and future developers. So uh, in the computer science program, one of the problems is that a lot of developers uh, creating software don't understand the adversarial mindset and how to attack software. So we're trying to attack that problem too with the courses that we offer at Portland State. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about what this cloud is? So we hear about the cloud and is it safe to use the cloud for our data? Um, if you're talking about users or uh, you're basically trusting the cloud provider to keep all of your stuff secret. So it's a matter of uh, whether or not you wanna build a trust relationship to someone that you don't really know, like it's opaque to you. You don't understand how they're managing your data. Uh, for certain companies, I put a lot of stuff on the cloud. I'm assuming that I'm good with them. Like Google, I use Google Cloud. If you're a company though, um, uh, this is a little bit different. Uh, you have to understand what you're putting up in the cloud. So if you use a cloud provider to basically, if you don't wanna own any servers and you wanna put it all in the cloud, you have to understand what parts of that are secure and then uh, take that on as a risk. Wow. I have to tell you, Boo, this has been a fascinating introduction to cybersecurity, and it's only the surface of a very deep pool. Stay tuned. Next, we're going to dive a little deeper and learn how big security breaches impact you. Support for Cybercast Oregon comes from Mount Hood Community College Small Business Development Center, working with entrepreneurs to create, grow, and protect successful businesses. Learn more at mhcc.edu slash sbdc. Welcome back. I am Kedma O, your host on Cybercast Oregon, a show on how to educate and arm yourself against cyber threats. And these cyber threats, they're real and they're frequent, but it's not always easy to understand how the splashy headlines about big hacks affect regular technology users, but they can and do. Joining us today is Ken Weston, security analyst and researcher. Tell us how and why this is happening. Welcome, Ken. Yeah, good. Hi, thank you for having me. 
Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot more um, breaches and hacks. Um, I like to refer to more of an analogy, right? We refer to the internet as the uh, information superhighway. Uh, so if we look at it from a driving perspective, the more time you spend on the road, the more likely you are to get in, into an accident, whether it's your fault or someone else's. Um, I'm seeing too is that uh, more of our lives are being uh, moved to the internet. Um, it's a big part of our jobs. Everything we do is online. All of our finances are online. As a result of that, um, we become a bigger target as well. Uh, we're even connecting devices to the internet that maybe shouldn't be connected to the internet. Um, we're actually creating more of what we like to call digital exhaust. So as we do things online, um, our phones, um, all this information is being tracked, GPS coordinates, where we are at any given time. Um, so a lot of times we're kind of doing this to ourselves. We're generating all this data um, and we have to think about where is that information being stored. And a lot of times it's with companies that we don't know how they, they protect that information at all, right? Uh, so we're putting a lot of trust in their, these uh, companies to protect our data. But a lot of times they're not doing a very good job of it. Uh, social media is a good example. Um, I'd like to say that, you know, if you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Uh, so a lot of times those uh, organizations, they're making money off of harvesting very um, in-depth information and developing very rich profiles about you. Um, but what happens, though, is that criminals can also take that information and use it against you. Wow. So let me step back, Ken. Tell us your background, because you sound like you know what you're talking about. And, <laughs> and, the, and the audience wants to probably understand what's your background? How did you get involved in this? Um, I've been uh, doing uh, involved in security and technology for the last 20 years. Um, actually, I worked uh, right now. I work uh, in security analytics. I work with very large organizations, um, helping them make sense of all the various security data that they're actually bringing in to identify if they actually have been breached or if there is a compromise. Basically, finding evil in their environment. Uh, prior to that, I was actually here in Portland, Oregon, working with Tripwire. I worked out of the office of the CTO in a very similar position. Uh, prior to that, I was developing various tools and techniques to actually track criminals. Um, so I was actually tracking stolen devices, um, using what we call open source intelligence, um, harvesting information about criminals, stalking them basically, um, ended up putting a lot of uh, bad people in jail using data. Wow. So it sounds like we need a Ken in probably every small business that we work with. <laughs> so let me ask you, you know, you mentioned the, the highway, you mentioned, uh, you know, sort of being more and more involved and we're adding more and more devices. It almost sounds like the safest way to preventing any type of hack is to not be on the internet. Yeah, that's what I like to tell people is like you were coming up to like, you know, Cyber Awareness Month and like the best thing you can do to protect yourself is let's just turn off the internet, right? Uh, but that's not practical. And I think um, what can actually happen is that the, the real secret to all this is being vigilant, um, understanding that, you know, uh, passwords, best practices, there are a lot of best practices that are out there around using password managers. Um, also, um, maybe not creating as many social media accounts as you may want, right? Sort of restricting that, at least keeping track of um, how those accounts are being used. Um, and I think one thing I find is a lot of uh, people and even organizations is that they move away from vigilance and they become complacent. Um, they sort of uh, put themselves in neutral. They assume that technology companies and the technology themselves are secure. Um, they don't patch systems and things like that. And we really need to be much more vigilant. Um, the same thing is, you know, when we're walk walking down the street um, and, you know, there's certain ways we want to uh, present ourselves so we don't become a target of being mugged and things like that. And I believe it's very important for us to have that same attitude when we're actually leveraging the internet. So as we continue to see what's happening in the media, for the individual, the average person out there, 
does this mean it's increasing the chances of us being hacked ourselves? I would actually say that we should assume that we have been hacked. All of your information is out there. Uh, we've seen it with many breaches like Equifax. Um, but even before that, there are a number of breaches that have been undisclosed. You haven't seen them in the media. A lot of times these organizations do not realize that they have been hacked and the information has been compromised. Uh, we saw this a while back with a lot of the retail breaches uh, when we saw like Target and things like that. They didn't know that they were compromised until the FBI or the, sorry, the Secret Service actually notified them that they hey, were seeing these credit cards out in the marketplace. You guys have a problem, right? Um, and there was value in that data. Um, but the value in personal information go, can be a little darker. Um, if I want to identify and I want to dox someone, like we saw with uh, in earlier, um, that's something that I can actually go and I can actually pay people to do the research for me from various breaches that have been undisclosed and actually create a very uh, rich profile of that particular individual. So this is so scary. But when you mentioned uh, that there was credit cards that were out there, are they in the dark web? And could you share what that is for the audience? Sure. So um, that's one thing we've seen with an uh, uptick with cybercrime is that um, the dark web is a way for um, uh, hackers and people with malintent um, to actually um, share um, information like credit cards. They leverage pseudo-anonymous currency like Bitcoin um, that allows them to do these sorts of exchanges um, sort of with impunity. That technology was actually developed to help uh, help people, right, uh, in you know foreign countries and things like that that were actually uh, blocked from the internet, being able to allow people that were dissidents to actually communicate. Um, but um, criminals, unfortunately, are leveraging that same technology. So um, I can go in the dark web. I can actually go in and I can buy all sorts of things, everything from drugs um, to weapons. Um, I can buy uh, hacking services. I can buy stolen credit cards. There's a lot of information that I can actually go and purchase if I if I wanted to actually uh, leverage some of that information for crime myself. So it's a different market. It's a completely different market. And you, it's currencies going back and forth in mm. this dark web. Yep. It's a, it's an underground. It's a, basically it's a digital underground market, right? So um, there's tons of information that's available there. So how talk to us a little bit about our responsibility in terms of uh, humans. Are we part of the problem, like a weak link? Because I know there's a term going out about social engineering. How do we play a role in either um, in creating more of a problem or, or is it really just about making sure we have the right systems in place? Yeah, so in security, we talk a lot about vulnerabilities, um, and we can actually patch system vulnerabilities very easily, right? Uh, software updates, um, configurations, and those are fairly easy for us to do, and we can do it on a massive scale. Humans are harder to patch. Uh, we have vulnerabilities uh, that are leveraged and exploited by hackers and social uh, engineering. Uh, one of the main things is trust. Um, by nature, we're generally, uh, we trust we trust other people, we trust our technology, we trust the various tools, um, and that's something that does often get exploited. Um, to combat that, I, th I believe that we need to actually um, have a healthy dose of paranoia into our lives, um, start to actually assume that we have been compromised, um, be very suspect of the emails that we receive, even if it's from a trusted friend. Um, I got an email from so a family member the other day, and it was something about a sailboat, um, and it was not sent by my family member, right? And I thought that was really strange. So I called them on the phone. I said, did you send me this? You know, I'm kind of paranoid about this. And they said, no, I didn't. And then, of course, their email was hacked, right? And someone was sending out these phishing campaigns as well. So sort of developing that healthy paranoia, right? I'm not talking about wearing the tinfoil hats and things like that, but actually just, you know, um, you know, thinking before you click on links, um, thinking before you log into certain accounts and things like that. 
That is really good advice. What efforts are being made right now to try to stop these hackers? Because, you know, we're not police officers, right? We're doing our everyday, and for many of us, everyday business. We're the florist, or we're a construction worker, or we're, we're staying at home caring for our children. What are the, you know, the, the good guys doing to help stop these hackers? I think a lot of it actually is, is driven by us, you know, not just the companies themselves. A lot of times, um, unfortunately, companies are not going to do a lot to protect data until there is some sort of a breach and they actually lose trust in customers. Um, when that happens, then they start to actually um, implement more protections and security. Um, uh, government regulations can also help. I'm actually uh, very positive about things that are happening in Europe right now with uh, its uh, GDPR. It's actually uh, laws that are in place about protecting uh, personal information, the ability to remove that information from databases and things like that. Um, it's a real hassle for a lot of businesses, but it also gives um, consumers and, and people and citizens more rights with regards to how their data is protected and secured. And you mentioned that having a company compromised where it could affect their credibility in the market. So we all know that Equifax was compromised. Do you really believe that it affected their credibility? Did they see any difference in how consumers reacted to that breach? So I would want, I'd be curious to know what the after effect is for a major uh, breach that happened. Mm -hmm. And what, what are your thoughts? Well, I think when you have a breach like that and uh, top-level executives lose their jobs, um, that tends to have boards pay attention. All of a sudden, there's going to be lawsuits. There could be personal liability that targets some of those executives as well if they're able to actually prove that they were negligent, right? So there's a lot of risk associated with the business there. Um, and I can tell you that a lot of the other um, credit uh, companies as well, they paid attention and they, they are um, implementing new policies, procedures, new technologies to do a better job of protecting that data as well, because they don't want to be uh, like an Equifax. Without revealing the name, could you just give us maybe one story of a situation you walked into that uh, is a lesson learned for people listening to this, what they shouldn't do? Maybe a case you were actually hired to support because of uh, either a problem or there was some kind of internal issue just to give us an idea of a day in your life, mm -hmm. and also what are the things you see? Well, it's not something I did as, a, as an employee. I actually helped a, a company actually with a particular situation. You guys might remember the Ashley Madison breach that occurred a while back. Um, well, a particular executive at this company um, actually was using the corporate debit card and the corporate billing address that appeared in that uh, data breach. So there was a potential loss of reputation and had to deal with that. Um, as a result of that, because um, he was using uh, corporate assets for that, um, uh, you know, they actually conducted a larger investigation and unveiled a lot of different uh, fraudulent things that he was doing, um, very unethical, right? So that's kind of one thing, too, is, you know, if you're initiating those types of activities, you know, there's a lot of trust in those, maybe that uh, vendor that said, hey, your data is totally secure with us. Um, so don't don't use corporate assets for that type of thing, first of all. But that's just an example, too. That information could be used to blackmail people, and it has been, right? People in the military, people that are um, in, uh, high up as executives and things like that as well. So that's something you got to be careful of. I, I know. And I'm smiling because when that happened, every one of my girlfriends, including me, we went on and we typed in our husband's names just to make sure... <laughs> <laughs> that they were not part of this situation. 
So it does hit home. Let me ask you, should I worry that my data has likely already been compromised? Or again, am I too small to actually be in, be in danger when it comes to this dark web? I don't think anyone's too small, right? I, I think, uh, you know, um, you, you can be blackmailed. There's, your information can be used in various ways. So I think, again, the healthy paranoia is going to be helpful. Just assume you have been breached. Uh, right now, I think everyone put a freeze on their credit, you know, thanks to the Equifax. And that's not a, it's a pretty good idea to have that. Um, even if it costs $10 per bureau or whatever, it's still, um, you know, that's peace of mind. Um, I even do things, I travel a lot and I, uh, for work, so I'll actually change my credit card every six months. Uh, again, I just assume it's been breached. I don't know if a hotel or a, um, or a restaurant, I don't know when I can't see it, you know, how it's being used. So again, that sort of healthy paranoia can actually help you provide some peace of mind. You know, and I, I want to bring a quick funny story and then ask how uh, you would deal with it, because I'm curious to know if you get breached, what do you do? So a few years back, I was actually breached and someone had stolen my um, identity and had actually uh, purchased flowers for someone they love. And I decided to do my own investigation. So I, lo I located the name that was on there and I made the phone calls and I literally tracked down the person. And then I got a phone call from the police department informing me that I cannot do my own investigation. And that it's really up to them to handle it. So when you are breached, how far do you go? Yeah, I think that, you know, that's a situation where you do not want to get involved in, in, in some of those types of investigations. Again, you don't know um, who's doing this. A lot of times it's very organized groups. Um, I, I was doing a lot of investigations, um, some very kind of scary Russian organized crime groups that are actually in, in the Northwest. Uh, and uh, it, it kind of put me in a, um, in a space where I wasn't comfortable. Um, so that's why I kind of backed off and then provided more of the data to law enforcement and let them do the work, right? Wow. So it's one thing to collect the information, collect the evidence and things like that, but it's better to hand that off to, to the professionals. So no Rambo. No Rambo. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk personal attacks like Nick Burns. I mean, he his story was really powerful. Are those kind of situations common or was that sort of just a one-time bad timing situation? Uh, yeah, there, it's going to be increasingly so. I think, uh, you know, as there's more information that's available out there, again, it's more about intent. If someone wants to target you that has the, the technical capability, uh, maybe the, the financial resources, they can go about doing that. So, um, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be immune to those types of attacks. Can you walk us through what, where you see our future going? You know, are there any new trends happening? I just saw recently uh, Disney got ransomware, and uh, it wasn't actually for money. It was they were holding Pirates of the Caribbean as ransom um, that if they didn't agree to so much money, they were going to release the movie on the internet before its launch date. So I, I'm just curious to know, I mean, I, that, that just blew my mind that you could hold a movie as ransom. Tell me where, where you see the trends going. So it may seem weird, but I actually have a positive outlook for the future. So we actually see ransomware. It evolved as a result of the fact that hackers were having a harder time actually monetizing other types of stolen data. Uh, when we started seeing a lot of the, the target breaches, the retail breaches with the point of sale systems and credit cards, um, more um, protections were being put in place for, you know, the chips on your uh, cards. It's harder to uh, commit certain types of fraud that reduced the value of the stolen credit cards in underground markets. 
um, yeah, personal inform information. There's so much of it out there. You know, the, the value of that's decreased as well. But what they really got smart with the hackers is realizing that actually the, the data is more valuable to um, the organizations themselves, right? So um, if we go and we, we encrypt that information and they're, they're more likely to pay more information than we could ever sell in underground markets, right? So we're starting to see that that's an evolution. And if we are actually um, able to mitigate a lot of the ransomware, if organizations do a better pat job of patching vulnerabilities um, and, and um, manufacturers and vendors as well, um, we can move away from ransomware. And, and uh, of course, they're going to have to move on to something else. But um, that's just sort of how we're seeing this evolve. In a lot of ways, the hackers are actually getting desperate. They're trying to find ways to take their services and their, their techniques and monetize them in new ways. So, Ken, this sounds as if there's a number of hackers out there. Are they hard to catch? That's a tricky one. Yeah, they're very difficult to catch. Um, a lot of that is because um, a lot of times they're working in uh, countries that uh, we, the, our law enforcement can reach. Um, I have a lot of friends in the FBI. They do a lot of investigations. Um, and a lot of times um, they end up in Eastern Europe and Russia. And a lot of those um, um, are very difficult to go out and actually uh, you know, bring them back to justice. They have to rely on those folks traveling out of the country, and that's where they're able to maybe nab them with a country that's much more friendly to those types of things to, to extradite them for um, um, working on a case. Well, all of this education and awareness about hackers and data breaches is helpful, but what happens when someone slips through and hacks you or a platform you use? Next up, what to do when you've been hacked after the break? Cybercast Oregon is supported by Mount Hood Community College Small Business Development Center, where they work every day to open opportunities for entrepreneurs, innovators, and inventors. You can get started on your quest to business success at mhcc.edu slash sbdc. This is Cybercast Oregon, a show about online security and threats, and I'm your host, Kedma O. Oh. And it's the part of the show you have been waiting for, what to do when you have been hacked. Ken Weston and Wu Chang Fang are going to walk us through two practical scenarios, how to respond if your small business gets hacked and what to do if your personal data and accounts are compromised. Ken, let's start with you first. So how do we respond to I've been hacked. It's going to be different for individuals versus a business. Um, the first thing is if you're, you're a business and if you have been hacked, um, uh, FBI will actually be a good uh, folk to contact. Uh, but the first thing they're going to ask you for is where are your log files? Uh, so they're going to need logs associated with the various systems that have been hacked. Uh, and they basically need that evidence to go off of to help you. Um, and even if they can help you, at least notifying them um, and then they can actually look at maybe other businesses that may be targeted as well and you can help defend them. Um, it's usually good also to then leverage um, you know, some of the experts, you know, your IT team, things like that, to help with the remediation, to wipe those systems clean, change passwords and things like that. On a personal side, um, that's where you want to uh, assume that every account you have actually has been compromised. You want to change the password for all your social media, everything. Um, just imagine or, um, that everything on your system has been compromised in some fashion. They have had access to all your data. Um, you're going to want to back up your system. You want to wipe the operating system, reinstall it completely. Um, if you're not comfortable doing that, again, if you have a Mac, go to like the Genius Bar, um, or if you have your, your PC, you know, take it to someone that can help you with that as well. Thank you. Now, Wu, uh, as Ken was mentioning this, and I'd love to get your thoughts on what to do when you've been hacked, 
There was uh, a mention on log files. Many small businesses probably don't have a tech team. They probably wouldn't even know where to go for that. Is it easy to provide these log files for the FBI? Uh, it is difficult for to expect a small business uh, with no expert with, where the security is not their core competency to, to produce this information. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's when you might bring in maybe a consultant to help you um, find find what you're looking for. Um, yeah, but it's a difficult place for a small business to be in. And what, what do you recommend, especially since you're teaching uh, high school students and, and college students, uh, what do you suggest if you have been hacked, either personally or through your own business? Um, so a lot of the things that uh, he mentioned were, were um, you know, changing your passwords. A lot of these password managers allow you to automatically regenerate passwords and, and reset them automatically. Um, and then you know, contacting your financial institutions uh, if you believe that uh, you know some of that data has been compromised. Uh, but very similar uh, mm -hmm. strategies. And Ken, yeah. you mentioned the FBI. I would presume the FBI is really busy and they don't have the the amount of workforce that we think they have. Do they actually get involved with all the breaches that are occurring or did they triage it? Because if, if you notify the FBI, are they going to get involved to try to retrieve your data? It's going to depend on the scale. Um, but there are, even if it's a small um, uh, hack or small breach, or um, there are places that you can report that. At least that information gets logged somewhere. Um, but if there's a, a big loss or if it's like a, what we call whaling, like where a CEO or maybe there's a wire transfer, things like that, where you're dealing with like a financial loss or if it's some, anything dealing with critical infrastructure. So if, you know, you're dealing with, a, you know, like a power company or something like that, um, those are things that are going to be heavily involved in. Can either of you give us just an example of companies that have actually handled the hack well, where they did everything right? <laughs> well, I, I can see I, there's a few companies, I, I won't name them, but um, they've done a good job at least of uh, notifying uh, customers that were affected really quickly um, and took uh, measures to actually respond to very rapidly to change passwords for social media accounts or what have you, right? Things that they were able to control. Um, I think the faster you notify people, the better. Uh, we've seen uh, what can happen when you wait two, three months, right? When that information is out there, um, that also opens up, them up to more liability. I would just say that a lot of the security news is bad news. They don't report the good things that happen, just like the regular news. So, yeah, we know a lot of stories of mishandled situations, but not a lot of the other. Well, then walk us through what a, a security plan would look like. We're talking about, you mentioned, Ken, you deal with very large organizations. Well, that's a, probably a handful of companies here in Oregon. You know, uh, there's a lot of... Uh, businesses that are small businesses, what would you recommend as just a basic security plan that they could start thinking about tomorrow? Well, the one thing they should do, it's also challenging for large organizations and even small ones is, first of all, identify what you need to protect. Like we, we, we do asset management, right? Identify, you know, what systems do I have on my network that I need to protect? Um, ensure that those systems are patched. Um, you know, even if it's not a uh, computer itself, are there other devices like phones? Also do an audit of your various accounts you're going to be using. Like if you're using social media, if you're using Twitter, a lot of them have um, two-factor authentication, which you can leverage um, using a lot of, if you're using cloud-based services, uh, again, any sort of protections that they offer, you know, educate yourself about the various uh, uh, mechanisms they have in place and take advantage of it. 
I would say uh, ahead of time, uh, really look at what you're logging and monitoring in your systems uh, and have a, a process in place for when you do get compromised, because you will get compromised and it's better to have thought ahead uh, in terms of what you're going to do. You also mentioned both of you just in the back and forth conversation about education. How important is it to, if you are a small business, to educate not only maybe employees, but there was a mention around vendors mm -hmm. or subcontractors. Uh, is that the responsibility of the owner to do, or is that something that gets passed on to the, the subcontractors? So a lot of that can be around security policies. So you, if you have a vendor where you can actually influence policy, you can ask questions. Um, if you're um, going to be sending sensitive data to them, you, you have the right to ask them how they're protecting that data. Um, is it being encrypted? Um, what other mechanisms do you guys have in place to actually secure that? I think that's, that's one thing you can do. So, uh, well, one of the things you mentioned, because I had asked uh, before about these log files, and you said, hmm, for the average small business, you really need to bring in the expert. I am curious to know from your perspective, Wu, what are things that the typical uh, small business owner or person listening here can do on their own? And when is it time to bring in the expert? You mentioned uh, passwords, so that's fairly easy. Is there anything else they can do on their own? Well, I think, an, well, an expert can help you sort of set up your systems to like do logging and monitoring that ships the data off, off machine. And then, and then you, you have that there, that's a one-time setup. And then, you know, at least uh, if an incident does happen, you have access to it. So wherever that stuff goes, you'll know that, that at least it's, it's being done. And then when the incident happens, you would, you can bring someone else uh, someone in to actually analyze your logs. And that's, that's what Equifax did uh, in the end. They brought in, uh, I think it was uh, FireEye, and uh, they say, hey, we have all these logs and event, uh, events that uh, we need you to actually help analyze. And what do you think, Ken, as, as well, anything else that we could do as small business operators before bringing in the experts? Or I love the idea of bringing in the expert to just get us set up with that plan so that we could do some of our own uh, review and data analysis. I think, uh, you, well, uh, business owners, you know your business better than anyone else. Uh, so a consultant can come in and they can look at systems. But um, if you can provide an audit of what tools and other accounts you actually have, and if you have that ready beforehand, um, that way you, they can assess, okay, these are things that might, we might also want to look at that have been compromised, right? So again, if you have different vendors you're using, they might have access to some of your data and credentials. Those are things that would be useful for the expert to have access to. Yeah, and I know when we first started, I said I have a six-year-old. I actually have a six-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 12-year-old, all boys. And besides dinner, they are on the internet. So my question is, you know, is it important to have security conversations with our family and friends? You know, as if it was like, you know, we, we do we do planning around if there's a fire, if, you know, if there is, um, you know, the smell of smoke. We talk about that with our kids, but we don't talk about hacking. So if if you do suggest that, how would we go about doing that? Well, I have a son, too. And I, one thing I learned is no matter how many times you tell them or warn them about the consequences of hacking and things they may do online, um, you know, there's, there's issues with regards to judgment as their brain is being developed, right? They're, it's going to go in one year out the other. Um, I had a, a situation where I let my son borrow my computer and he was playing Minecraft and 
uh, he wanted to download this other new really cool Minecraft pack, and I got a virus on a computer as a result of that. So, you know, lesson learned, right? Again, it was trust, right? Uh, he exploited my trust. Um, so a little healthy paranoia is, is good there. And he learned his lesson, too. He learned that, hey, you know, ask dad before I download anything onto a computer. I also learned about not giving um, admin access to, to my child on any computer in my house. <laughs> yeah, with, with my daughter, uh, she has a Chromebook, and I never touch it with any of my stuff. So I know whatever she gets into, um, but uh, I'm, I'm sort of like, that's that's not my system. And I don't, you know, I don't worry about the security of a Chromebook because uh, they're pretty good. But the other important thing is just online safety. Um, so cyberbullying and, you know, yeah. loss of privacy and, you know, don't do anything that you don't want publicized over the Internet. Because uh, if you if you interact in a way where, you know, everything's going to be public, even though you think it's private, that really helps the kid. Uh, the child uh, understand that, yeah, the internet is not the trusting place that they might think it is. So let's talk a little bit about resources, because I'm sure there's going to be people listening saying, where do I go for help? So do you know of any resources in the Portland area that people can go and learn more? Um, well, for like practitioners in IT, there's uh, there's uh, we were at besides uh, uh, PDX. Um, it's the regional uh, type of security conference they have, and they, they they talk about these sorts of things. I ran a workshop about threat hunting and, you know, finding you know evil in your network and that sort of thing. But there's also uh, talks that are not necessarily so technical, but talk about best practices and things like that. So um, those types of uh, conferences are fairly cheap and free. Um, and so there's also uh, groups you can leverage. Um, InfraGuard you know, was part of the FBI as well as a really good resource for organizations to join. Um, I got a lot of really great um, information from them as well. Um, so on the user side, uh, we do a lot of camps and classes. Saturday Academy does this thing called Cyber Academy, which has this online safety component. Uh, we run Cyber PDX, which is a high school camp uh, with basically 10 schools. And we bring both the teachers and the students into this camp. And we try to educate both at the same time so that they can eventually go back to their schools and then spread this uh, sort of the awareness uh, at their schools. And, and so these are the kinds of programs that are hopefully going to shift the education uh, component of this. Well, thank you both today. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Wu. That's all we have for today at CyberCast Oregon. If you missed part of the episode or want to listen to it again, you can find the show on prp.fm and iTunes under CyberCast Oregon. We'll be back in a few weeks. In the meantime, stay in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you and stay safe. Until next time, have a great weekend.